Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside J.J. Cooper. Hello everybody. We're here to talk about the Tigers today and uh, J.J., this is an improving system. We saw them uh, make some uh, some really tough trades organizationally at the end of last year. Moving Justin Verlander, obviously, they moved Ian Kinsler this offseason. Uh, overall, just what's your sense of the Tigers? And look, there's a lot, they were a lot of years where they were very competitive. They've uh, they tried to keep them going. It didn't work out. Clearly, they've started making moves toward the future. Just what's your overall assessment of this system today and, and some of the pieces they've gotten back for these, these established stars? So for a long time, I would describe the Tigers farm system as a ready supply of talent to help the big league team. And by help the big league team, I don't mean by promoting them to the big leagues. I mean by trading them away. It was a treadmill where you would trade guys away to help the 2011 Tigers, and then you draft again in 12 to help the 12, you know, and trade the 11 guys. To, it just kind of kept going that way, where the Tigers system really was generally a, a pretty thin system. And again, I kind of go by that by design. They were going to win it. They were all in to try to win. They spent money at the major league level to try to win. You know, they had this really good core that really, in some ways, has gotten pretty expensive. And so last year, they've done this one time before in a smaller way. They had really kind of the one hiccup year. And they kind of did, I would say, it wasn't really a rebuild. It was they traded off a little bit that really helped them bounce back the year after. But you look at this. This is the first time in a long time that the Tigers have actually done a, it's not a full teardown, but it's a lot of the way to it. It's... The farm system is now in better shape than it's been, and it should be because, I mean, that's a lot of talent who they've watched, they've waved goodbye to. J.D. Martinez, Justin Verlander. Justin Upton. Justin Upton, Ian Kinsler. That's, that's, the, that's a, a big part of what this team has been. Now, a couple of those trades, let's be just flat out honest, it – they didn't get that much for J.D. Martinez because it was a half season. And as we're seeing right now, there seems to be, as, as productive as J.D. Martinez is as a hitter, there seems to be, you know, a, a surprisingly uh, uh, cold market for him. Um, Along with just about everyone else. <laughs> right. For Justin Upton, the contract meant that there was something where that was really not, they didn't get a, a massive amount back. And for Ian Kinsler. Justin Verlander is the only one of these moves where they really got a haul back in return. Although there is a top 10 prospect as part of the J.D. Martinez deal, yes. one of their top 10 guys in their system. And, you know, say, you know Grayson Long is kind of... And they also guy. picked up, by the way, Isaac Paredes and another... You know, this this top the Justin, 10... The Justin Wilson trade. Right. Another move. Justin Wilson got him a better haul. You know, like, this top 10 that we talk about here, it's up at BaseballAmerica.com. If you're a Baseball America subscriber, you've know, got all the scouting reports there, but... Number one, Franklin Perez, acquired from Astros. Number two, Alex Fado, 2017 draft pick. Number three, Matt Manning, 2016 draft pick. Number four, Bo Burrows, 2015 draft pick. Number five, Jake Rogers, Astros trade. Number six, Daz Cameron, Astros trade. Number seven, Isaac Paredes, Cubs trade. Number eight, Dawal Lugo, Diamondbacks trade. trade. So it's really those last three years. Kristen Stewart, you know, draftee, Gregory Soto. So this is a team that this top 10 looks a whole lot better because of trades. Five of the top eight were trade acquisitions. Five, five of the top eight were trade acquisitions. 
And but the other thing that stands out is is what I do like about this is is that you have now really I'd say four, three top hundred prospects, four pitchers at the top of this list who all have some very significant strengths. You know, Franklin Perez is if you said Franklin Perez, Alex Fado, Matt Manning, Franklin Perez has the lowest ceiling of those three guys. He's number one on this list, but I do believe he has the lowest ceiling because Alex Fado, if everything breaks right, could be a front of the rotation guy. Matt Manning could absolutely be a front of the rotation guy, but Perez has had success up to double A. And as far as likelihood of being a big league starter, I feel much more comfortable with Perez. Perez really had a, a very impressive season last year. Um, you know, the key part of the acquisition in the Verlander trade, but again, we are talking three of their top six prospects are guys that they got in that Verlander trade. That Verlander trade, as hard as it was to do, remade their farm system. Um, but to, to get, again, a, a top three of the, the Tigers always have pitching. That's where they generally focus their attention. But a top three of Perez, Fado, Manning. And then Bo Burrows at number four, who we saw in the Futures game, who's not that far from the big leagues. That's I have a, him in my personal top 100. That, that is a really solid top four right there. How close was it? You know, Alex Fado, obviously this decorated collegian at Florida, led them to the College World Series last year, was you know considered a possible top five pick. Had a knee injury, fell off. But in reality, talent-wise, especially at the end show, he very well could have been a top-five pick. How much of a debate was it for you between Franklin Perez at one, Alex Fado at two, or was there a debate at all? Oh, one, two, and three. You could make a case for any of the three. It really did come back to more than anything was. I mean, Fado did not – it's understandable. He threw a lot for Florida. Fado has yet to throw his first pro pitch. That's, you know, again, it's a very, very, very minor factor in this. But you have the guy who will be making his pro debut versus the guy who really had a very effective season, largely at high A, but did reach double A last year. Um, and then Manning is a little further away. It was a, That was a tough call because, I mean, Fado... And, and by the way, Prez reached double A, age 19. He yes. turned 20 in December. No, he's significantly younger than, than, than Fado and will be headed to double A to start the 2018 th- season almost assuredly. Um, but really what it came down to is, is, I mean, those are two, you know, you look at our top hundred, there's not a, a lot of separation there. These are two guys who you are having to get pretty granular when you are ranking, lining those two up because different strengths and weaknesses, but they're very similar as far as their, where they kind of sit as prospects right now. That's like, to me, to me, there's a clear delineation after four but then even more so, you get to seven. Eight, nine, ten on this list, to me, there's another clear delineation. You know, Dawel Lugo's eight. I'm not convinced Dawel Lugo's a regular. Everyone on this list after this is guys who have paths to being big league regulars, but there are concerns. Like, Isaac Perez is a long ways away, but to do what he did at the age he was, it was a great year for 18-year-olds in the Midwest League last year. A great year. Because of that, we kind of lose a little bit, understandably, when you watch what Vlad did, what Bo Bichette did, what Fernando Tatis did. You lose what Isaac Paredes did, but 
he hit really well in the Midwest League as an 18-year-old as an up-the-middle player. That's So that's where I kind of wanted to get at. You talk about the clear delineation of the top four, the top three or 100 guys. Burroughs is, is firmly in that conversation, not far off. That five, six, seven range, I frankly was a little surprised to see Jake Rogers get the nod, not because of anything against Jake Rogers, just seeing, you know, what Predis has, you know, the second half Daz Cameron has had. What for you in your conversations with evaluators inside and outside the organization elevated Jake Rogers to that number five spot over the other candidates? He is a catcher who has absolutely defensive ability to play in the big leagues for a very long time, and the bat is better than what was expected when he came out of college. So How so? What specifically has been better? Well, for one, the power has been vastly better. Um, he's hit for legit power, and he's done it like it's not been easy places you know, to, to hit. Right. So that's something that really stands out. Right. Boys Creek, we saw last year, really took home runs away from a lot of players. He went up there in 83 games there, 18 doubles, 12 homers. Also stole 13 bases, by the right. way, in, at Boys Creek. And he is a very, again, and this is a guy whose reputation has always been as a glove first catcher. He was considered one of two, him and Sean Murphy were the, the two clear best defenders in that catching college catching class from 2016. Both of them have lived up to those expectations so far. So you were talking about... And been better with the bat than expected. And again, in Rogers' case, you were talking about one of the better defensive catchers in the minor leagues right now. I, mean, I don't think there's any real question on that. So you have that. So that gives him a really good base to start with, which is is that he's going to make the big leagues. Defensively, if he just is good defensively, gets into a home run every now and then and hits 220, this guy's going to have a big league career. But he did show some signs that maybe this guy actually has the bat to be an everyday regular. So you compare that. He's five. Daz Cameron, six. Daz Cameron. Talk about a tale of two halves, by the way. Great second half. Fantastic second half. You know, and he has made adjustments. Cameron was one of the, you know, the dudes who we talked about all leading into the, what was that, the 2014 draft now? So, but the question always with him revolved around, like, like the, there was one thing that's almost unfair, is scouts would talk about Cameron, and then as far as athletically, defensively, he's not as good as his dad. Okay. Mike Cameron was really, really good defensively. Really, really good. So that doesn't mean he that even that he's not a center fielder. He's a you know he's still he, he's a center fielder. There's athleticism, but he the other question he always had was the hit tool. He's made adjustments. He's tweaked it. It's better now. That kind of gives him a path. Now it's been a slow process for him. Went to the Midwest League his first full year. Uh, you know, pro ball wasn't ready for it. Went to the New York Penn League, got hurt. Basically, it's been a slow process to get to this point. He's a little bit, you could say, behind as far as that. So it's interesting. You had your article. I remember reading it before I came yeah. to Baseball America, just reading because I thought it was interesting, that talked about guys who, you know, non-injured, non-cat, you know, non-injured, non-pitcher you know, types who don't make it out to affiliated ball that first. Or can't stick it. Or can't hopefully. stick affiliated ball and have to get sent back down. The track record of those guys making first major leagues, first-round picks, is essentially zero. So you have that, that history with that Daz, works against that Daz Cameron. Absolutely. And then he goes out and hits 202 through June 22nd. And I remember this because someone asked me at that time, you know, is Daz Cameron a bust? 
And I was probably, I should have probably explained it better, but I was, you know, full chat mode, busy, said, yeah, you know, high school guys, you know, that are, that are toolsy, you're not sure if they're going to hit, they, they can bust quickly. And a couple people pushed back on it and only 500 games. I was coming from the standpoint of we've established that guys who have to get sent back, the track record of them actually becoming it successful is, major leaguers is zero. Is. And at the, the day that question was asked, he's hitting 202 in low A. It's like, all right, he's been sent down, which we already know is a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. His second time arresting 202, not through the first month, but through the first half. I mean, every sign of, yeah, this isn't working out was there. And I don't, you since know, that and, day, and basically. Since, since that day, I don't know if I uh, has, has hit been for average, hit for power. Absolutely incredible. And it's a testament to him. You know, his dad, Mike, actually tweeted out at me, so still think my son's a bust. And hey, you are what you perform. And he hit, he performed 335, 414, 551 after that uh, June 2nd, June 22nd date. So. You know, how much, in, in your conversations, again, the, the Tigers obviously scouted him very closely, mm-hmm. and they got to see him, you know, only a couple games there at the end of the season, three games, because Verlander was a waiver trade on August 31st, and the regular season was pretty much over. He got into three games with the ti- with uh, West a Michigan. A little bit of postseason, actually. A little bit of postseason. What was your sense from talking to Tigers individuals that said, you know, we believe that the second half guy, Daz Cameron, we saw, is the real Daz Cameron, not the previous year and a half? Because clearly they have to feel that way to have, you know, made him a centerpiece of this package for a franchise icon. No, I will say that's all baked in here because here's the thing. He's the third piece in this deal. So the thing, you can't get that if Daz Cameron had just been – the second half of the season, that's Daz Cameron. Centerpiece was the wrong word. My apologies. Right, Franklin Perez he, was the centerpiece. Would, if you was just the second half of the season, Daz Cameron, you can't get him in this deal and get Jake Rogers and get Franklin Perez. What you can do, you get him because there's at least some concern because of that. And the Tigers, which as a third piece in a deal, it's really good to get a guy who has the potential to be an everyday regular really be a solid everyday regular. But the other thing that's working in Daz Cameron's favor here, which I think is is worth noting, is is this is a system, you love the pitching in it. When it comes, the, the concern you have, if you say where are the Tigers going, is where the bat's going to come from. Because the Tigers, for this stretch of really, I mean, they've been a, they have been, they don't have the, the trophy that the Royals have. But for the decade, the Tigers have been in contention almost every year. They've won it a lot. And what, how'd they get there? Well, they've had Verlander. They've had pitching. They've had, they had Scherzer. They had Porcello at right, times. They've had, absolutely had pitching. But the other thing that they've had, you've had they had Miguel Cabrera, one of the best hitters of our with generation. With Victor Martinez. With Victor Martinez. With J.D. Martinez. With at times, Nick Castellanos. Castellano and, and even before that, you know, Curtis Granderson, when he was really mm-hmm. in his prime still, they had a little Placido Polanco. They had a lot of different guys who were, you know, really good. They had a, a top-to-bottom, one-through-nine lineup a lot of these years. Ian, that Ian Kinsler. Ian Kinsler you know, go back, you know, they had Prince Fielder, which is, you know, like, they've had bats, middle-of-the-order bats. And if you say where your concern with this Tigers farm system is right now, the position players who are in the top 10, Jake Rogers is glove over bat. Daz Cameron, the bat's improving, may end up being bat, you know, but he's always been athleticism, defense, center fielder who hopefully will hit enough. 
Isaac Paredes is bat. Hey, that he's a long ways away, but that is bat before glove. Dawel Lugo is the versatility, the arm, much more than being an impact hitter. Kristen Stewart, now that is the bat. That's all bat. But the thing about it is, is that Kristen Stewart, who is the best power hitter in this organization's minor leagues, without a doubt, but he is a fringy left fielder, very fringy defensively. He's a DH slash left fielder, and he is a guy who, to, to call back something not from the not-too-distant past if you're a Tigers fan, like Stephen Moya, he's a guy who could be in the middle of your lineup if everything breaks right, and you go, yeah, he's a DH, he plays a little bit of left field, this is great, he hits 30 homers for us, there's enough average, all that. Or, like Stephen Moya, it could be something where you say, you know, he's just not on that side of that line, and this is a guy who... Because there are no other paths. I like to talk about paths to a big league role. He's got to hit a lot, or he's a he's a triple A guy. Well, it's it's one thing you look at Stephen Moya. I mean, his last you know really his major extended chance in the big league struck out thirty eight times in hundred plate appearances, and some of that was you know he's six foot seven, mm-hmm. bigger strike zone. You know, when I've seen Kristen Stewart, you know he's, just, he's not that big at six no, three, no. And, and it's it's loud contact. Um, you know, he's interesting to me because I, I can definitely see a, a discussion where. Especially you mentioned the Tigers with uh, how much they lack position player talent, particularly in the outfield. You know, it's Mikey Matuk and Tyler but Collins. I, and, I do I, not know if Kristen Stewart can that, play that, defense that, well enough to be a regular in the outfield. And that's where and that's where it'll be interesting to me because I do think he'll get the opportunity to show he can, but if he takes advantage but, of it. And that's where the interesting thing becomes, and I don't even have a great answer for why this is, but I have really struggled to come up with an answer. Now, again, look at long-term for the Tigers. I don't think they're going to be able to deal Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera is going to DH a lot going forward. I think that's a fair expectation that as Miguel Cabrera goes in the next, is it what, is he signed for 122 more years or 123? Uh, It's... uh, 2023. You also have, you know, Victor Martinez comes off the books at end of this year, but there's, you know, no question between the Cabrera, As, the Cabrera and the Jordan Zimmerman contracts are two that are, are troublesome and, over the next few but years. You have to hope that Cabrera comes back healthier and that last year's was a blip, not a continue, start of the decline. Right. But a, a two, you have to expect that Cabrera is going to play less and less in the field. Over this contract, I mean that's just a logical expectation. And some of that with Victor being a free agent after this year, right. you can slide him into DH, but, but they're gonna need. But the other bats. thing with that is, is that with Kristen Stewart, you could say, okay, the bat maybe he's the DH. I'll ch- I, I can't come up with guys who break into the big leagues as DHs. It's really hard to find guys like even. Guys we looked who, at like Jack Cust, another guy who could not defend. Six worth years, a, could not six years, could not defend worth a darn. I mean, watching him play left field mm-hmm. was painful at times. But left-handed power bat that was made some, it to the big leagues at like age twenty-two. Got a big league regular job at I think age twenty-eight. Like or you know Dan Vogelbach with the with the Mariners. Dan Vogelbach. No one has ever said that Dan Vogelbach was going to be more than a thirty defender in you know in first base. The Mariners were not willing to, and again, you can question the bat maybe, but the Mariners were not willing to say, no, you know what, let's not worry about you being a first baseman. Let's put you at DH. David Ortiz spent a year as a first baseman before he became a DH. Edgar Martinez, the greatest DH ever, 
the third baseman who moved, then moved to DH. It's really hard to find a guy who came up to the big leagues and they said, you know what, just hit. It'll be interesting to see with Kristen Stewart. And I think for some people that might have been the guy that, you know, outside looking, you say, wow, why is he so low? And so that's, that was some of the, the, the reasoning behind that. It'll be interesting to see. He goes up to AAA. He'll be in Toledo, have a chance to really fine-tune everything this year and just – See if he can get better because he's still young. This isn't a guy who's you know way oh. old for his levels. He's you know he's, he's and he has a track record of hitting for power. I, I do think ultimately, you know, you, you talk about the delineations here. Would it shock, shock you if Kristen Stewart ends up having a better? What's the what's the line at which if he ends up having a better career than X guy, it will shock you? Easily can see him have a better career than Lugo. Easily Paredes because Paredes, I mean, you know, he's a guy who was in low A. Um, easily can see him have a better career than Cameron because, I mean, Daz, again, it's Daz right now on his resume has a half season where he really hit and he has two, a half, one and a half season where he didn't hit. So um, Jake Rogers, I do think that Jake Rogers has enough defensive value and Kristen Stewart is enough of a liability defensively that when you look at the totality, I would be surprised if Stewart ends up. Like, again, Stewart can really, I mean, I really think that there's a chance that he is a regular because he hits for power. And he hits for, he doesn't put up high OBPs, but he doesn't strike out a ton, hits for enough average, all those things work together. Um, but I really struggle. I'm trying to come up with, who is that guy? Like, who is the guy with the Kristen Stewart profile from our past who you say, that really worked out, you know. Well, you've been here a lot longer than me, so I'll, saying, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I really do struggle. And again, that doesn't mean there are guys who are unique. Jose Altuve, I have no previous, like, who is Jose Altuve? There wasn't a guy like Jose Altuve before Jose Altuve. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but I do struggle come up with, it's kind of like, it's a different version of the Willie Calhoun conversation. You know, Willie Calhoun's a better bat, better power, I think, than Stewart. But they're both left fielders who are limited in left field, and they both don't really have a whole lot of other defensive options. That's a very interesting group. Like, you it know, is. Finding... I, think, I think with Calhoun, what was encouraging was, was talking to some evaluators when he was still in the Dodgers system. When they first moved him out to left, they said, you know, he tracks fly balls actually okay out there. Like you were, you could get a 40, 45 grade on him. I feel like with Stewart, you were getting a lot more 30 grades. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Uh, I got that he improved from 20 to 30. So obviously, you know, a, a ways to go there. Gregory Soto was your number 10. Uh, is it safe to say, well, I guess let me, I should ask you rather than assume, the top nine seemed fairly, hey, these guys should be top There was about 14, 14 different ways I could have gone to 10, I felt like. Okay, so so the top nine were firmly in there, and number 10 was, was a whole host of options. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what led to Gregory Soto being the pick? Lefty arm that's good. I mean, that's like, I mean, like, like compare him, like Kyle Funkhauser, who was in consideration for that spot. Funkhauser's coming off of an injury. It was shut down last year, you know, if... We want to see. We want to see him come back. We want to see him come back and be healthy. I don't have that concern with Soto. I mean, there, there are, there really were a significant uh, different ways you could go. Like we just talked about, once you get past number, you know, number seven on this list, it gets. 
And then when you get to nine, 10, there are a plethora of options. The difference between the guy who's, when you get the prospect handbook, who's 20th on this list and Soto is not a real significant difference. This is still, right now, a thin system. The things that are going to help it is that they are now in a rebuild. So, again, I don't expect that they, they don't really have many more pieces at the big league level that they're going to trade away for significant value. But they do have a very high draft pick coming up. So they're going to have a, a – they should have another – and I think they've drafted really well the last couple of years. You look at it and you go, Fado was an absolute steal to get him where they got him. No question. I think Funkhauser from the year before, again, you're talking about they've kind of gone out there and gotten college guys who have some track record who have fallen in the draft. Manning, they went and ponied up the money. You know, again, it's a risky pick, but it's a high upside guy, a, a basketball player slash pitcher. Well, he's been moved fairly slow. He, he's pitched well. Right. He's, he is very erratic. His best outings are great. His worst outings are terrible. I should say his, to, his total line body of work is, is, is right. solid. Right. It's not like he's gone like, out I mean, it is not something where right now, and this is not surprising for a, a pitcher his age, given his background where he has a few less innings than a lot of guys, not surprising. But Matt Manning is right now not a guy you say, you know, every time Matt Manning goes out there, we get six innings and it's two runs. And no. Matt Manning is the guy right now who goes out there, and sometimes you are getting the pen ready in the third, and sometimes you go, man, we're, we're going to hit this pitch limit, and he's not even going to broken a sweat yet. That's who he is right now. But so, you know, Manning, Bo Burrows is, looks like a good pick as well. They've, they've done a better job of drafting in recent years, I feel like. They're going to have a very high pick to start what should be a draft that gives them a lot of money to spend coming up this year. So... You put it all together, you know, I mean, when I say very high pick, we mean very high pick, number one. Um, but you put it all together and you say, okay, I see a path for them. And But the thing that I would say right now is, is that the to-do list, I think that they have pitching percolating up through the system. I mean, there's a lot of arms that we haven't talked about there. A lot of them are going to be relievers, but there's a lot of more arms where I say, yeah, that guy could be a big leaguer. You know, the other thing that I think has helped with the system, and just this is where I come in, having done a lot of coverage and cross-checking about the Angels and Diamondbacks systems last few years, they made two trades with the Angels, both Upton mm-hmm. and uh, and the Kinsler deal, grabbed some Angels prospects and Diamondbacks. They acquired three of them in the J.D. Martinez trade and took another one with the uh, their top pick in the Rule 5 draft in Victor Reyes. I actually kind of like the group of players they brought in just from some of these deals as well. So we talk about the amateur scouting has done a nice job. The pro scouting side, we, we've established the Justin Verlander trade package. Look, you're never going to really replace a Justin Verlander, but you get three guys who are in your top six prospects, including, t- you know, a, a very promising pitcher at the top of it. You know, I look back, I mean, Sergio Alcantara, you know, and Dawa Lugo were two guys that, when they were in the Diamondback system, you know, consistently got big league grades. Now, impacts, standouts, no, but not up and down guys, not mm-hmm. more guys, you know, consistent Hey, these are big league, you know, big league grades. I, I like them. They do things well. You know, Wilkel Hernandez, who was a big pickup in the Ian Kinsler trade, uh, it was interesting because, look, he's, on the one hand, rookie baller who can go 85 different ways, but there were a lot of individuals within the Angels system who considered him the sleeper of their system and a guy that, while 
Obviously, on the national level, you heard a lot of people talk about, hey, the Angels acquired Ian Kinsler for nothing. And in the grand scheme of things, a rookie ball pitcher and, and Troy Montgomery, who projects as a fourth outfielder, are not you know going to get headlines. These are nonetheless guys who there's something there. They weren't trading these guys for org players. All these guys, they and sometimes you see that with these deals, surprisingly so. Oh, they traded this guy, who'd they get back? And a guy the scouts have an up-down grade on or an org guy grade on. Consistently, whether it's Alcantara. I mean, like, I mean, like to, to give the, the worst example of that, recent years, they were forced to trade him. Kind of, kind of got, I think, to eat it from above. But you rolled, I mean, the, the Reds traded Rolls Chapman for four guys. And who's left on that trade who's, you know, I mean, we've got a guy who's retired. We've got a guy. But I mean, at the time of the trade, were any of those I mean, guys. No, that's I mean, the thing. Is, a lot is that of at the down. time, it was like. I mean, I remember saying at the time, this is a very modest haul. Like, right, and look, so Alcantara and Lugo and Montgomery, you know, have big league grades on them as guys, you know, ready for, you know, double A slash above. You look at a guy like a Will Call Hernandez where, hey, you know what, this is a really intriguing young arm that has some development ahead, but a lot of people liked at that level. They, they did get guys. So I see both depth added. I see, you know, some stuff at the top added. I, I do think the Tigers, look, there's still probably a year or two of pain ahead at the big league but, level. But again, here's the to-do list, though. I do not see right now Impact position alignment. players. I don't. Right. If you That's said, fair. if you are looking at your 20, like your 2020 Tigers, which are still going to have at that point Miguel Cabrera with four years left on his deal, who might be, I mean, you're hoping he's not, but you fear could be producing at a Pujolsian level at that point. You fear not. I mean, you hope not. But so let's say that he's no longer the anchor in the middle of the lineup. You're not going to have Victor Martinez anymore. At that point, Castellanos, if you're going to have him, it's going to be that you've re-upped him. You know, you're coming up to that point or at least close to it. I do not, like, if I look at this farm system right now, Jake Rogers could be a catcher. Daz Cameron could be at center. Paredes or Lugo or, you know, I think King is going to be too far away. But, like, there's other guys you say, okay, maybe this guy is a second baseman. But I do not – I don't – I'm right now not able to spell out for you here's a three-hitter, a four-hitter, or a five-hitter. And that's the thing that's – again, it's, it's a left to-do on the to-do list. Well, I think for me the biggest concern is, is the outfield moving forward. I mean, right now you've got, you know, Castellanos penciled in to play right field with Jaime mm-hmm. Candelar at third base. So, you know, in that sense, mm-hmm. okay, there's an outfield hole filled. You know, Leonis Martin is currently your everyday center fielder. And Mikey Matuk, who in fairness had a solid but, year last year. Mikey Matuk, who in fairness you kind of feel like long term he's on that fringe of being a three slash four. So, you know, and Leonis Martin is more of a fringe a, of a he's four a, slash five. He's a, you know, a, a guy who fills in for the time being. So, and with, and then they have, I mean, then behind that, they do have, you know, they did go have a rule five pick. Um, by the way, Jose Iglesias at shortstop, his, his, the bat has not come around and he's and due to be a free agent. And, he, and he's due to be a free agent soon. So there are definitely but a lot of holes in Michael this. Michael Berber, Victor Reyes are the center field options coming up, but both of those guys are guys who, Again, maybe on that fourth outfielder more than f- top starting outfielder type guy. You know, right. I, I do not. That's the thing. Again, I think this is a much improved farm system. If you said, where is the pitching going? I see the path. What's still on to do to, to do list, which makes sense. This is a team that has really just started the rebuild. They only started this in July, June, July. But where they are on the to do list is, is that, okay, I would expect coming up in the draft that you're going to see, 
you know, them add some bats. They are, now, the thing about this is their draft history is power arms, power arms, power arms. And we and know, so we they know either, drafting high school pitchers number one overall is a, not a great bet, rarely happens. You have Brady Singer at the top of that number one overall pick, but as you mentioned, they need bats, and they're – there are, in theory, going to be some prolific bats at the top of the no, draft. No, again, the high school bats at the top of the draft, if a guy's really, truly a one that's the track record, that's not that bad. You know, so well, it'll be interesting to see where the Tigers go here. But at the same time, what does stand out is, is that, you know, they're, they're in the process and you see where the process is going. I'll just put it that way. Absolutely. I think that'll do it for this edition of uh, the Tigers Baseball America Prospects podcast. Make sure and go to baseballamerica.com store, order your copy of the Prospect Handbook. You'll have it here a full month before it's available in stores. You'll get write-ups on all 30 of the top Tigers prospects. In addition to another one, if you buy directly from us, you get a supplement with a number 31 prospect. JJ did the write-ups, so you know they'll be high quality as always. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, folks.